Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Um, first point, and I was kind of talking about it already with the prayer, and this is the foundation that we're going to build everything on. All right, so I won't spend a ton of time there other than drum roll is God is sovereign over all. This actually has to be the foundation upon which we build everything. There it is. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. So God is so- sovereign over all, and whatever our response is going to be, whatever our opinions are in whatever we go through, whether we're talking about COVID, whether we're talking about restrictions, whether we're even looking at the, 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 the leadership struggles that we've been going through, there's been lots on our plate. When we look at our personal freedoms and liberties, all of these things have to be filtered through the foundation of God is sovereign over all. And that's very, very important. Now, am I saying I can explain why God does everything he does? No, of course not. I don't think anyone can. But it is a far, it's, it's a far worse thought to think that he's not in control than that he is. So we want to start with that. Colossians 1, 16 to 17, for by him all things were created. So all things were created by him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So, I mean, you have to let some of those verses sink in and they have to become guiding principles within our lives. So they become the foundation upon which I start building everything else, right? Because if I don't think God is sovereign, you know what ends up happening? I'll tell you some of the quick things. Anger, fear, anxiety, and control. That's very, very quick. Those are, those are going to be the natural responses when I forget, because maybe you know this already. I mean, probably all of us in here would agree, and at home, God is sovereign. Amen. And yet, when I, you know, list off anger and fear and anxiety and control, I think all of us feel a little, ooh, in our responses, because we probably all relate to that, including myself. And that's why I'm saying, even for my benefit and for all of our benefit, we have to go back to God is sovereign overall, because then our response needs to start by going to him, and it has to start with prayer. So Isaiah 45, look what it says here. And he's, oh, sorry. In, yeah, sorry, I'll go forward here. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. And so who is ultimately in control God is. And that is supposed to be why. It's, it's, this truth here is the key. So getting this one in our hearts. And I would say if this is one you struggle with because, you know, I get what you're saying, but then our minds right away go to fear or anxiety or worry. I would say probably a suggestion. I'll never tell you what to do. But a good suggestion would be, I would say, make sovereignty of God, focusing on what the sovereignty of God means and what it, what it says in scripture about that, a goal of yours come January. Do it for six months. Start your devotional times that way and start by focusing on the sovereignty of God and what that means because you will find the peace that passes understanding the very things that all of us are looking for. It comes on a foundation of God is sovereign overall. That's why even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of turmoil, we as believers can have peace. Right? Because he who is for us is sovereign over all. Nothing happens outside of his control and dominion. Now again, I cannot explain, I'm not going to do a message now on why then is there so much evil and why does God allow, that's not the point of this, but we have to start by understanding he is sovereign over all. We may not know his purposes, but he is in control. 
So once we understand that, we can begin to move forward and start looking at some of these other topics. All right, so first we're going to look at faith and submission to governing authorities. What does the Bible actually say about this? And so we're going to cover this from, from a couple of different angles. And the, uh, obviously, you know, we're going to talk about submission. Now, I know right away some of you might be thinking, yeah, but there are times when we are supposed to stand up and rebel, isn't there? Like, isn't there times for civil disobedience? Don't we have s- stories in the Word where people were told one thing and then did another? Um, and we're going to get that in the next point. So we're going to start, though, again. Foundation, God is sovereign overall. Ah. And the next thing is, what does our faith, how does our faith intertwine with submitting to local authorities and governing authorities? First scripture we're going to look at is Titus. Titus 3 verse 1, it says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And I'm going to give you snippets. So I'll give you snippets. We'll have some that are are larger chunks of passages. Uh, But I would encourage you in your devotional times, especially if this is something you've been wrestling through, um, take the verse. Take the passage and then go and read what's before it and what's after. Do that on your own time in your devotional times and and then begin to weigh your responses in your heart uh, towards what the scriptures have to teach. So the first one here, Titus 3 verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. So we're to be obedient. We're also supposed to be ready for every good work. The church still has a job to do. Uh, the next passage we're going to look at comes from 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. And here we're told to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now just, just pause and let that sink in for a moment. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now I know right away is the, the, the next question that comes into probably a lot of our minds is, well, yeah, but what about wicked institutions? What about institutions that are doing things that we disagree with? Uh, how does that look? And well, we're going we're gonna to tackle that a little bit later. Uh, but whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. And so I want to pause on that again. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to emperor or as supreme or governors sent by him. And then tra- uh, tracking forward, for this is the will of God. Now we'll look at, is there ever a time to rebel? But I think it should be stated here, who was the emperor during this time when this was written? And what you'll find, uh, you can do a quick Google search if you're not sure, but uh, Nero, Emperor Nero was was the guy that was in charge right here that he's referring to. And what's really interesting about that is Nero was, is, is known as one of history's greatest criminals. He ended up committing suicide, uh, murder in his family. I think he killed his mom. I don't actually know his full history. Uh, But I'm pretty sure he killed a brother, and I'm pretty sure he killed his mom. And he did incredibly wicked, horrible, awful things to many, many believers. The persecution was widespread that he authored. And yet we have this passage here, and we have Peter exhorting us. The apostle Peter is exhorting us that that still, for the Lord's sake, that there is to be... um, that we are supposed to subject ourselves. And so he goes on by, uh, to say that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but, as, but living as servants of God. And then he says this. I love this quote here. I actually have it up in my office. Uh, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. 
Don't you just love that last line? It seems epic. For some reason, it seems like it needs to be a t-shirt. But honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Look at the Christian call to honor the emperor because there was an understanding here. So that's, again, going back to that first point, I think sometimes some of our turmoil and some of our wrestling comes from not understanding point A, and that is God is sovereign over all. Because these passages, which are really hard to reconcile with some of the things that were happening in the day that they were written, uh, have to be read through the lenses of understanding that the writers believed that God was sovereign over all. Their, Their understanding was, it is God who places kings and removes kings. So they saw it that way. Now, they obviously didn't see people or mankind's sinful choices as a product of God because Scripture is clear God never tempts anyone to do wrong, neither is he tempted by wrong. But they did understand that his sovereignty meant he placed rulers where they were and he could remove them. So honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And lastly, and this is probably the the passage here, uh, Romans 13, that has been most widely circulated over this last uh, period of time. Um, especially over the last week or two with everything that's been going on and further lockdowns and that sort of thing. Uh, But lots of people looking at this passage in different lights. So let's just start Romans 13, 1 to 5. And I'd encourage you again, read the whole passage, get the context, look what it all says. But we'll look at five verses here together. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain." For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath and the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to, God, to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And so we see here, again, submission to and obedience to, to governing authorities is actually seen as, according to the word, submission to and obedience to God. And so we're told that it's, it's you know, to avoid God's wrath on the one hand, but also for a sake of conscience. And going back to Peter, we're not to use our freedoms as a cover-up for evil. And this is where it gets really tricky, right? Because, you know, we have opinions and we have skin invested in the game. And we wonder, well, where is the time to say no? Obviously, if, if wicked things are happening, we should stand up against that. We need to stand up for what is right. Um, and that's what we're going to unpack here in just a moment. But, but first, I want to be really clear. A lot of these passages were written during the time of, of Emperor Nero. And he did wicked things to... To the Christians, he did wicked things. And obviously, God isn't saying that everything he did was right, but he was saying actually honoring the emperor, showing honor, submitting to the things that you can submit to is actually uh, giving worship to the Lord. And that's an important consideration for all of us. Now, this, like I said, lines up with Old Testament understanding. Look at Daniel 2 here. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Um, I'll read the whole thing here. To whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things and he knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And here you have, this is the context. God is sovereign over all. This is the context that those passages were written. 
saying, yes, it is hard. And there's probably a reason why you, we see it in Titus, Peter, and Romans. Three times this, this instruction, probably the context there is that believers in those days were saying, shouldn't we be standing against what Nero is doing? Shouldn't we be standing against the wickedness in society? And yet we find the instruction that, that we're actually to be subject. God has a different plan for us. And obviously that doesn't mean compromising our morality. And that's what we're going to get on to next. So that's the next question. Does this mean that we have to submit and obey to everything always? Is this blanket statement? Does this also mean we have to agree with everything? And the answer to that is, I would say first on the, do we have to agree? And the answer is no. Submission is not about agreement. Um, in the same way that you might not agree that wearing a seatbelt is important. Um, many of you probably only wear the seatbelt because it dings at you if you don't. And so for sheer frustration, you will follow that law. But to be honest, whether you think that's a, a silly law or a really smart law that saves lives, um, it's still a law. It doesn't matter what we believe about it in, in such a case like that. It's not violating any, our, our morality. It's not violating God's law. And so we have to listen to it. And that is what Peter and Paul are getting at in the passages that we looked at before. And so are there exceptions to this? Are there times for civil disobedience? Is there ever a time uh, where we're going to look at biblical examples? Uh, but the, the short answer would be yes. There are times. We find it right in here. There are multiple examples uh, here, and we'll just go through a few, of people who disobeyed um, directives that came from the governing, the ruling authorities or the governments of the day. But what's really important because when you, when you look at that, if I just say, well, in the Bible, you see examples of rebellion and we don't go and look at those stories and get context. We don't go and look at what was the nature of what was being asked of them. What was the nature of what they were disobeying? It becomes, and this is what I've been noticing in some of the polarity that I'm seeing within the church as a whole, it becomes a license then to just stand up against anything you disagree with. And maybe you might say, okay, but it's not just about disagreeing because I know you use the seatbelt law. No one's, dis, you know, no one's standing up for the sake of conscience for seatbelts. We're standing up for things that are impacting people. And I get that. I totally get that. Um, I, it's, it's tricky. I get that. And honestly, I don't know what the answer is. I do know one of the things that we need to be doing though. I wonder what does is, what is our prayer life look like in a time like this when so many are being affected? And I'm going to get on to that in a moment. I'm going to get ahead of myself. So let's go back to examples from the word of civil disobedience and what was the context around there. Uh, so the first one is the Egyptian midwives uh, being told to murder. They were told to kill Jewish babies and they didn't. They rejected it. They actually said in Genesis, uh, or sorry, Genesis, Exodus. In Exodus, they said the, the, the Jewish women were giving birth too fast before they had a chance to get there and it was too late. It was too late by the time that they came, so they disobeyed Pharaoh's order, a direct command, and then you might wonder, well, what did God think about that? Because obviously scripture records good and bad things in here, um, but scripture reports later on in Exodus 1 that God blessed them for doing it. So God blessed them for their civil disobedience, but what were they being asked to do? They were being asked to murder. That's obviously a very different thing. So when we look at a passage like that, and then we look at our current situation, you can see there's a conflict. We can't just say this equals this over here. We're not being asked to, to, to kill anybody. 
Um, but let's move on here. Uh, there's also stories of Daniel, right? In Daniel 3, Daniel's a great, I mean, Daniel's a great book. It's, I had lots of fun reading through it again this week. Uh, but you have, I always call him Daniel and his three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But their story of faith is phenomenal. And how they handled, because you, you think about, I mean, the, the Jews going into exile there and then, you know, being under a wicked king's rule. And then, you know, they would have had, do you think they had a lot of freedom? Probably not. They didn't have a lot of freedom. Um, they had to be very careful on what they did. And yet, this is the place where God placed them. And those guys just give us a shining example of what faithfulness looks like in the, in the face of adversity. Uh, the title of the message, Faith, COVID, Restrictions, and Responding Well Under Pressure. I think reading Daniel would be a great assignment for all of us this week. Go and read Daniel to look at how Daniel and Shadrach, excuse me, I have, my lip is itchy. There we go. Was that weird? That's okay. It fits with who I am. All right. Um, so let's start with Daniel 3. So we have Nebuchadnezzar and uh, the first uh, act that he's doing here is he's going to require them to um, uh, worship a false idol, right? So he's asked them to, they've set up this golden idol of, of Nebuchadnezzar. And now this idea is whenever they sound the trumpet, they have a whole bunch of different instruments. But when that sound is made, everyone stops and bows down and worships. And if you don't bow down and worship, at that point, it says that they will be thrown into a fiery furnace. Um, so talk about, talk about a lack of freedom and talk about an oppressive government. And also talk about incredibly hard penalties uh, for failing to, to obey. And yet, look what we find here in Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. And what this is referring to, just a few verses before, people obviously see that they refuse to worship and they go and report to the king and say, those guys, the three amigos, they refuse to, to listen to your edict. They will not. And so Nebuchadnezzar actually gives them a second chance. That's what he's doing here. He brings them before him and he says, you know, second chance time, guys. You know, you get one more chance. At the sound of the, of, of, of the music, you got to get down and worship. And this is their response. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But listen to this. Look at their heart. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Just a beautiful example of faith under pressure. Of responding under pressure. You know, we don't see here, I mean, I can't read their tone, but we don't hear them, you know, swearing or yelling at the government. They're, they're being respectful. There seems to be a, a tone of respect, but they're also standing on their faith. And they're not even foolishly believing that, that you know, God, Yahweh, Yahweh is going to for sure bless us for standing against. They're fully aware that the consequences of their rebellion could lead to them being thrown in the furnace. And they're willing to accept that because they understand God is sovereign. And, you know, like Job said in, in, in Job, it says, if I accept good from the Lord, will I not also accept bad? They understood God's sovereignty means he sends times of peace. He also sends time of calamity. He's still God no matter what happens. And that's important. So, Obviously, if we're being instructed to, to worship a false god, that's a time when believers can, can 
for a matter of conscience, we should stand up and refuse to do that based on what the word is doing. But again, I don't, I don't see that yet. But I know we'll get to some of the questions. There are real things that are happening. And what about, what about those? And we'll get there, there in a moment. But first, we'll look at a couple more examples of civil disobedience in the word and, and the reasoning why. So we've covered, you know, being asked to murder and, and the Egyptian midwives refused. And now we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they refused to bow down to a false idol. Um, and it's an amazing story, right? Because the king, by the way, the response to this, he goes into an absolute rage and he orders that the furnace be stoked seven times hotter. It gets so hot that the people that go to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, they burn up themselves. And yet we get, I was meditating on that this morning, singing another in the fire uh, in my office while I was prepping, but, but what they find is the most fascinating thing, right? They're sitting there looking in this furnace and they're expecting these three guys to be burnt up, but they don't see three, they see four. And that's not part of the message, otherwise I'd go through that whole story now because it's incredible as they stand with God himself in the fire. And that's incredible. But anyhow, enough about that. Let's go to another point of civil disobedience. Uh, but by the way, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you know what that means? The same God that met those three in the fire, he'll meet you in the fire. He'll meet you in the fire. If you listen to him, if you follow him, if you put your trust in him, he'll meet you in the fire that you're into. But let's look at another example. Uh, Daniel 6. So now we're in Darius' reign. So Nebuchadnezzar and then Darius uh, comes right after. And here we have Daniel, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And so what's happening here? Well, what's really interesting is in the beginning, the story is Daniel is obviously loved by Darius and all of the other wise men of the day are jealous. And so they're looking for fault to find in Daniel. And you know what's fascinating? They can't find fault in him. I think I have this one on here. Yeah. They could not find ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Again, remember... This is not during like a wonderful time of peace and prosperity and freedom for the Jews and freedom of religion and all that stuff. And I'm not saying those that are bad. I'm very glad to live in the country we live in. Very. But this is through an oppressive regime again. This is through a godless nation where they were asked, you know, that that did godless things. And yet here we find Daniel was seen as faithful they, find, they found no, no ground for complaint or fault. So what did they say? They said, we shall not find ground unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So they knew something about Daniel. They knew that he will follow the laws of the land unless they contradict with the law of God. And they were right. So they go and inspire Darius to come up with this idea. And the idea is that no one will pray to any other God except for Darius himself. So no prayers allowed to anyone but Darius. So all the prayer has to go back to the king and the king signs off on this edict. And the the important thing to remember there is uh, the way it worked in their time. Once a king had signed an edict there uh, during those reigns, it was was irrevocable. They couldn't take it back. He couldn't sign it and then say, oh, I made a mistake. Let's, Let's cancel that one. It became like the word of God. That's how they viewed it. It was the word of God. And so that's why, if if you don't understand that, reading through some of the stories, you you won't maybe understand why they don't just cancel an order. Laws didn't work the way they do do now in Darius's reign. So anyhow, what happens? Darius sends a decree, no praying, no praying um, uh, for 30 days. I think it's 30 days. And what does Daniel do? 
Is Daniel going to hide away and uh, pray? I mean, you think, well, at least with prayer, if we're told not to pray, we can at least close the doors, shut the blind, and pray in secret, like Matthew says, right? Uh, pray in secret, then your heavenly Father sees in secret. No, no, that's not what Daniel does. Daniel goes to his favorite spot that he always prayed on top of his roof there, and he goes there in the sight of others where others could see, and he continues to three times a day get on his knees and pray to Yahweh. He continues to be faithful to God. And what do the other wise men do? They thought, ha, we've got him. We've got him. We've got him now, and the, the penalty is death. And they go to Darius and say, Darius, that Daniel, he will not pray to you, and he's praying to, to his God. And Darius is now put in, this, is, is put in this really bad spot because he loves Daniel. So he's put in this bad spot, and it's very interesting when you read the story. Daniel 6, you can go there and read it for yourself again this week, but uh, not right now while I'm preaching. <laughs> but you can read it after. Anyways, Darius is upset because he doesn't want to kill Daniel. So you know what he does? He actually throws Daniel into the lion's den, and he goes and fasts himself. He's fasting and hoping, like, may, may your God, may your God that you prayed to, may he protect you from the mouth of the lions. And he's sweating all night, and he's worried, and he doesn't want to lose Daniel, which, by the way, says a lot for the way Daniel conducted himself on his regular affairs. He wasn't a stench to the government. He wasn't a stench. Now, he was to some of the, the wise men because of how he chose to live, but he wasn't a stench. And I'm not saying it's never, it's, it's never okay to stand up and be heard or to have an opinion that's contrary. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you can already see this fruit that we talk about in the New Testament of being known for our love and our generosity. That's already Old Testament. That's what, that's what the shining examples were already known for there. So anyhow, Darius comes out in the morning. He's all worried. Daniel's going to be shredded or something, torn to pieces. And he rolls back the stone. He's looking in there. And Daniel, Daniel, are you in there? And Daniel says, I'm in there. I'm all fine. This is a paraphrase, by the way, if you're wondering what version. And Daniel's fine. And, the, and Darius is relieved. Huh. I'm so glad that Daniel is fine. Uh, but he's not done. Darius goes and orders that all of those guys who tricked him are now thrown into the lion's den. And it says that before they hit the ground, they were consumed by the lions. Just in case we were wondering, were they even hungry? They were hungry. It was God. It was Yahweh himself that closed the mouth of the lions. And there we find when the, when the government instructs us not to pray, when they tell us we are not allowed to worship, we look at persecuted countries uh, around the world. Right now, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are not able to worship. I read something just yesterday that in India, they're really stepping that up, that Christians aren't allowed to share their faith uh, under penalty of, you know, 10 years of in, in prison. I haven't gone and read a lot into that yet, but when those kind of things happen, that's a time that we can look at the word and we can have clear examples that our allegiance to God, to Yahweh, supersedes that. We will continue practicing our faith. We will continue sharing our faith, uh, which leads to the next one. And that the uh, next example here is... Uh, in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have examples from Acts 4, 5, um, Acts 4, 17 to 20, 5, 27 to 29, and 5, 40 to 42, where they were told not to what? Share the gospel, right? They don't want you to share the gospel anymore. They had just killed this troublemaker, Jesus, and this sect of Christians that was rising up. They were causing problems everywhere they went. And so the government's trying to prevent, and the religious leaders are trying to prevent um, civil unrest. And so they tell them, you are not, you are not to preach the gospel. And this is where we get this famous verse, and I'm using this one. I, I could have gone through a bunch of scriptures, but this is where we get Peter and the apostles answering and saying, we must obey God rather than men. And I have had this verse 
I have been quoted this verse multiple times throughout the last two weeks and been asked questions about it. Not any, by the way, no one's done it in a bad way or anything, but, but this verse, like, how do we reconcile this verse with what is going on? Like, don't we have to obey God over man? And the answer to that is yes. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, 100%. I will stand on and agree with. Do we have to obey God rather than men? Absolutely. But then we have to also include the things that the Ancient of Days has said, like, I am the one who decides who rises and falls. And I am the one who places kings and removes kings. And I'm asking you to submit to and obey governing authorities out of reverence for me. So he already says that. So yeah, we are to obey God over man. And that means even when we don't agree with things, to to submit to and love God, to worship him, to obey him, actually means that we are subjecting ourselves to other authorities within our lives, unless those authorities are asking us to do something like those examples I just said, where it clearly, uh, clearly contradicts what the word already says. So these are some of the examples here. I just kind of put them up. Murder, false worship, not allowed to practice our faith, not allowed to preach the gospel, um, breaking any moral law. If we're told to agree with immorality, we can stand up and say we don't agree with immorality. We've done that as a church. We've done that. Absolutely, we have stood up and been counted and we've taken some of the heat for that, I think, in 2013. We've stood up and said we don't agree with this. We don't stand for this. But within that, we have to do it with love. We have to do it with grace. We have to do it with respect. Um, But obviously, you know, if we're being asked to break a moral law, we would say no. But when it's not a moral law, then we have an obligation to obey. If, If a government leader instructs you to do something contrary to what God has already instructed in his word, you not only have permission, you have an obligation to disobey. We would not do any of those things that are listed on there. Right? So we have an obligation there. However, Barring such cases, when the authorities God has placed over you instruct you to do something that does not contradict God's word, obedience to those authorities is required. And that's what the word says. Now, I'm going to cover a couple of questions here, and I can't cover all of them. And I'm going to do my best from, from my perspective and what I see in here. And, and there is a total freedom for wrestling in all of this. There's a, there's a freedom to wrestle. We should be wrestling. But I would challenge one thing is, you know, remember in the church series, I said our responses tell us, often they tell us more about us than they do the things that are going on around us. And I'm going to stand by that uh, because what is our tone? What is our tone? Are are we finding ourselves on our knees? Are we finding ourselves studying this this book? Are we in here regularly saying, Lord, what, how, how did they do it? How did they handle this kind of oppression? Because nothing is new under the sun. What did they do? Are we searching in here? Are we crying out to God in prayer? Or are we mad? Are we afraid? And all of those are human responses, and I get it. And I get it. And how, does, how do we reconcile it? So let's talk about some of the things that maybe aren't as clear. Okay, so we've talked about clear things in Scripture. Um, let's talk about some things that maybe aren't as clear. What about neglecting to meet together? Hebrews 10. Okay, that's a good one because aren't we commanded to meet together? Look what it says here in Hebrews 10, uh, 25 or 24 to 25. Not neglecting to meet together as, a, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here we see that we're not to neglect meeting together. 
We're not to neglect meeting together. So the meeting together, there is something about meeting together that is important for believers. And I don't have to go into the science behind that. I don't think it takes, you know, um, a, a lot of understanding to realize that human beings were made for connection. We need each other. We don't thrive in isolation. We don't. I don't, well, maybe some of you are, but I don't know anybody who's just loving isolation this time around. Maybe when March 1st hit, some people I, I think found it as a bit of a break, but I think now eight months in and we're being told to stay inside in winter, the days are getting shorter and the nights are getting longer. And I think a lot of us are just tired. So yeah, we look at this and say, we need to meet together. You know, last Tuesday, my, Tuesday's my cell day. And we had cell and I was just thinking about like, like I was glad to see my friends. I was glad to see my cell. Yeah, very glad. But inside, I literally felt an ache inside where I just thought, oh, I just want to be together. I just want to be together face to face. I want to, I want to have a fire, even though it's cold, maybe too cold for that outside. But if it meant being together, I want to have a fire. I want to be together. I want to, I want to have coffee together. I want to share. I want to hug. And so it's difficult. I get that. I get that. But this is where it's unclear again, because right now we have multiple things that are in contradiction or, or intention together. And this is what they are. We have Christians meeting together and we'll have to, to look at, are we being actually limited in the sense of we can't meet together at all? Is there any way that we can do the encouraging one another? Um, what about the timing? But then, so there's that, but there's also a clear biblical command for the preservation of life. And that's what a lot of these restrictions are about, is the preservation of life. Whether you agree with, you know, the extent or the severity of them, that's not what I'm getting into. But the, na- the heart behind them is preservation of life. And then we have, you know, Christians meeting together for worship and these things seemingly coming together like this. So how do we wrestle this through? And this is where I say it's very important we first start with our own hearts, our own feelings, and it needs to start in prayer. But... The, the current lockdowns are hurting people. So is that true? I know that's part of the question that I've, I've received that many times. Well, they are hurting people. And my answer to that is, in my opinion, I agree with you. They are hurting people. So then shouldn't we be standing against them? Well, no, the lockdowns are there to protect people too. And, and I'm trying to, now I'm not, you know, you're like, well, what side are you on? I'm on the side of, I'm trying to do the best to stand to love people, right? To submit to what the government's asking us to do. But then to also recognize that there's a tension here. And one of the things that I've, that, that's really pained me in all of this is the polarity I've seen and the division I've seen in believers when we're approaching matters like this, where believers don't even have the ability anymore to, to be on one side and to face the other and to show, show love to one another. And that to me shows that there's something wrong more in here than out there. Because this is, you know, this is the hardest thing we've faced. But I know believers around the world have faced this kind of thing and more to far greater extents. And so we have to weigh this. We have to hold this intention. So this is my, this is my question. So it's important to remember the restrictions are not, this is how I reconcile it personally. So I'm going to give you my own personal, how do you reconcile it? The first thing is, what's very different to me about this is it's not being told to the church alone. If this was the church is no longer allowed to meet, that would feel very different to me than no one is allowed to meet. So that to me is different. It's not being targeted against religion, religious freedom. It's also not being targeted against a particular people group. Like you think of uh, in World War II, the, the things, the horrible things that happened to the Jews. And that's nothing like what we're going through now. But the things that happened there were targeted against the people group. If, if, if our government would ever do that, and I'm not saying that they ever would, but if we would go to those kind of places, well, that would be a time to stand up 
to stand up for those, those minorities. But right now, it's being told to all people. We're also being told it's for a period of time as they get a, a pandemic under control. And to me, in my heart, those things make this very, very different. Even as we say, well, but there's a cost on both sides. There is a cost on both sides. And so do I have an easy answer on how to fix it? No, I don't. I don't think anyone does. I think that's why we're in this area where we have people on this side and people on that side because we can't agree on anything and no one knows what is the best thing. But I'll tell you this, I know who's sovereign over the entire thing. I know who's sovereign. He has worked throughout history. We should be looking at history and looking and seeing what has God done in stuff like this before. Because it's not, nothing is new under the sun. There's been pandemics, there's been plagues, there's been sickness. In fact, the early church went through a plague. And it was in a plague that they rose up and became like the prominent religion. Because the way they handled it was completely different than everybody else, the pagans. They were taking care of the sick and they were being there for people. And you might say, well, what if we can't do that? Well, this is where I get on to, is digital means, does it work or is it completely not doesn't work for connection. And I would say that's the other part about it. Not neglecting to meet together. Yes, I would agree it's not as good. Not nearly as good. Like I said with myself, it's not nearly as good. I'm totally 100% with you on that. However, I would say we have 1,200, or Pastor Ray does in church renewal. There's 1,200 churches right now that are in mentoring. Those pastors, he said 85% were reporting they were feeling exhausted and tired. And that's probably true for 85% or more of people in general. And they're just, you know, everyone would almost like to just throw in the towel. Like, how do we continue persevering? But where are they finding strength? They're finding strength in prayer. They're also finding strength in being connected digitally in mentoring with each other. This, earlier this week, I had an incredibly hard three days. I don't know if, I, I don't know if you've had days like that. You've all had days like that. And I think 2020 has provided ample opportunity for us to have many days like that. I had three days where I was in the dumps. Where I just, I, I kept telling the Lord, my, one of my prayers, if you look in my journal, which I'll never let you do. Uh, but if I would let you, you would find one of the things in my deepest, darkest times that I always say is, Lord, I'm asking you, just throw me a bone. That's what I always say. Throw me a bone. Give me something. I don't need a full steak. I just need something. And you know what he did? All of a sudden, people, random people started sending me encouragements. And prayers, I'm praying for you. I get a verse here, I get a verse there. Digitally, through a text message. Through an email. And what happened? God met with me there. And now am I saying that we should just switch over and we don't need face-to-face? I'm not saying that. But I think sometimes we put God in a box when we say he can only work through face-to-face. We've had seven kids since we started online church, uh, a kid's church. Seven kids give their lives to Christ. Through online church. Now, I'm, you might say, yeah, but it had it been face-to-face, it might have been 14. Maybe. Maybe. This is temporary, too. I'm not, it's not supposed to be forever. And my point isn't, again, to say that I love digital and I don't want to meet face-to-face. I can't wait. I hope that the day is soon when this place is packed. I'm just glad that we have, you know, the worship people and tech people are here to give me some kind of company. Um, but uh, I can't, I, I love this place packed. I love being with you. Again, the set free has been operating online. Do you know what else works online set free? I I would have never thought that. Three years ago, had the idea been pitched set free online, I would have said, nope, that's never going to work for confession and sharing deep and all that stuff. It's just not going to work. It's working. 
People can still be set free. They can still encounter God. They can be blessed. The groupings, and they're, and they're, they're going through the cross session. I mean, the cross session, if you know that session, uh, where, you know, all the tears and it's this emotional experience together. Guess what? Same thing happens online. Why? Because it's never been about us. It's always been about him. He's not limited the way we think he might be. And so obviously, again, is it as good as face-to-face? No. Are we still able to do Hebrews 10, meet together and encourage one another? My belief is yes. Now you might say, what about those who don't believe in internet? I'm not going into that right now. I'm not going to cover that. Like I said, I won't answer every, connect, every, every question. But for us who have the means and it's not a sake of conscience, I actually don't see any problem with this. I mean, again, I don't, I'm not saying I love it, but I'm just saying biblically, I don't see a reason or cause for us to rise up. So my question on this, when we're looking at what about the mental health numbers, I'm very concerned for what we're going, what's going to happen. I'm very concerned for this month, Christmas. I've talked to people that are more overwhelmed now than I've ever seen before in my time as a pastor and before. People that are reporting levels of anxiety and depression that have never experienced it before and they're all of a sudden, they're in the pit. And so we say, well, what about that? And my, my answer to that would be, you know, I don't have the answer, but again, God is sovereign. I would challenge us as believers on this. If we're going to stand up and say the lockdown is bad and we should stand up because there are people hurting, I would ask, and some of you I know are doing this, many of you are doing this, but my question would be, let's make sure when we're standing up for those that, that are struggling in isolation, that we're also being a voice to those, those people by reaching out to them with encouraging notes by bringing in meals, by prayer. There are lots of things that we can do. Like I said, I was brought out of a pit, my own, my own pit this week, through the prayers and through the reaching out of others. And I just hope as a church that, you know, as we're standing up for, the, for people's rights, we're also out there being the one that's, that's helping the one that, that, that's lonely. Do you have a friend or a family member that's been isolated? Do you have a grandparent that you haven't heard from in a while? Right? Do you have a neighbor you can send something to? We can still reach out to them. A phone call. It's amazing what we can do with a phone call, with a Zoom call, with an encouraging text. Uh, let's be there for each other, church. All right. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to speed up here in the last two, these last two points. I'll just go really quickly. I was going to talk about uh, what about our freedoms. I'm going to suffice it to say this because I'm a personal believer in freedom. I love Canada. I love democracy. I love that we have so many freedoms, the freedom to, to believe what we want to believe still. We have freedoms to choose, uh, unlike many other places in the world. Uh, we have a lot of freedoms, and I love that. And I believe those are wonderful gifts from God. However, is freedom in this lifetime something that God promises us in his word? No. He allowed his people to go into exile more than one time. And he's allowed many, the vast majority of believers now in other uh, areas of the world are in exile right now. They're in oppressive uh, circumstances. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know, use our, our, our voice in democracy. There's ways through voting, there's emails, and there's petitions, there's things we can do. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm also not telling you you should do that. Other than voting, absolutely you should do that. But I'm not telling you we should be standing up through petitions or not. I'm saying there are legal things you can do. You have a voice. But just because freedoms are being removed does not mean that the church needs to stand up and disobey the government. Uh, the church has thrived. Look at our brothers and sisters around the world uh, without freedoms. We don't need freedoms to be the church. We don't. I'm not saying we don't need freedom. I want freedom, but we don't need it to be the church. So I'm going to jump forward to my next point here because I do want to look at how do we respond well under pressure. 
Um, the next question here is, wasn't Jesus a rebel? This one I've received lots, and I've seen it online, and I've seen memes, and I've seen things quoted about Jesus. Jesus was a rebel, and he died for it. So, was he a rebel? The first thing I want to say to that is, Jesus did not break any Roman laws. He didn't. So, I don't know what you mean by rebel exactly, but if he died, think about this. If he died for being a rule breaker, he died as a sinner? then our salvation is moot. Like, we actually don't want him to be a rebel. We, we want him to be the sinless one. Um, when he was brought to the cross, they had three charges they tried to charge him on that were in the Roman law. Uh, the first one was misleading the nation. That was illegal um, in Roman law. Uh, opposing taxes. We know he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Uh, and also setting himself up as Messiah or a king. You couldn't set yourself up as a king if you're under Roman rule. Well, that happened. And, uh, oh, there we go. He did not break. So Luke 23, verse 4, 13 to 15 and 41. What do we find? Pilate is examining Jesus to see if these charges are true. And you know what Pilate says? I find no guilt in this man. I find no guilt in this man. According to the Roman law, he wasn't a rebel according to the Roman law. He found no guilt in this man. He wanted to set him free. So then what did he do? He brings in another governor, Herod, and they, and they examine Jesus together. And together... They still can't find any guilt in him. They still didn't find any guilt in him. And lastly, we have verse 41. There's a reference to the sinner on the cross that says, this man did no wrong and he's dying with us. This man did no wrong. And that's important for us to understand. Jesus died a criminal's death, but he had done no wrong. Now I know the objection comes in. Yeah, but he did rebel against the religious leaders. Didn't he? Didn't he rebel against them? Well, this is my answer to that. Whose law was it? Is it the religious leader's law or is it God's law? God's law. Jesus being God was correcting him. He was correcting their interpretations of his law. That's actually not being rebellious. It's his law to begin with. And so when he was breaking the Sabbath, what did he say? I am Lord of the Sabbath. I'm not breaking this law. It's my law. Not mine, but you know, if that's, that's what he's saying. It's my law. It's my law to do with. And so that's an important consideration for all of us. So, Let's go here to responding well under pressure. And this is what I want. Regardless of what you think about restrictions, about lockdowns, about whatever's going on, about the government, about maybe it's, you know, where is this going? Like, if we lose our freedoms, isn't it a slippery slope? I agree. It is a slippery slope. Couldn't this one day lead to? Maybe. Maybe it could. But we're not there yet, church. And so these are the three things that I want to challenge us as a church. Because this needs to be a part on the foundation of God is sovereign. These are the things that should be marking us as believers. And when we look throughout human history or church history, we find these are the things that define and set believers apart in times of trouble and suffering and calamity. So my first question is, are we going to pray and fast? Are we going to pray and fast for the needy? I think of, you know, people with COVID to being healed, to the, the overwhelmed healthcare workers. Are we going to pray and fast for them? Are we going to pray and fast for our government as they're making impossible decisions? Are we going to pray and fast for the businesses that had to close and that don't know how they're going to make ends meet? Are we going to pray and fast, church, to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? And I hope that our answer is yes. And then being a living testimony, we can still love people. 
We can still love people. We can be an encouragement. We can be a voice of reason. We can be prayer warriors in this time. There are so many people. We can deliver meals, drop off coffees. There is so much. We can call people in the seniors in 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 an elderly home. There is lots that we can do to continue being the church. And then lastly, I know many of you are struggling personally, and I would challenge you here to bring your troubles to God. Bring it to him in prayer. Let him know how you're feeling. Let him know it's difficult. He cares for you. Let's worship, and then we're going to close with one last passage to look at. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com. 